All right, guys, moving on, we're going to discuss the Civil War of Ireland in 1922 to 1923. So, basically, when we're covering this topic, there's five things that we need to cover. So, firstly, we need to look at the pro-treaty and anti-treaty divide in Ireland and kind of how that divide came about. Secondly, we'll look at how the fighting began, the lead-up to the fighting. Thirdly, we'll look at the significance of of the death of Arthur Griffith and Michael Collins and the role that played over the course of the Civil War. Next we'll move on, we'll look at how the Civil War came to an end and then finally we'll look at kind of the lasting legacies of the Civil War and how that kind of affected politics in Ireland for years afterwards so getting straight into the content first topic we're going to cover is the pro-treaty and anti-treaty divide so Sinn Féin had been split down the middle over whether or not to accept the terms of the Anglo-Irish Treaty so after the Anglo-Irish Treaty of 1921 a provisional government was set up in which Arthur Griffith was elected president of the Dáil so this new provisional government was set up to oversee the withdrawal of British troops in Ireland and actually to establish a new government in Ireland and just kind of go over the rigmarole of setting that new government up when you think of Ireland around the time of the Anglo-Irish Treaty like the divisions that were in place between the pro and anti-treaty sides really deepened even further. So it was actually common to see friends and family split over the issue of whether or not to agree with the terms of the Anglo-Irish Treaty. So it, this is a a topic that caused real, really, really deep and personal debate in Ireland and actually led to a lot of division, not just in politics, but in households, friends and families across the country. But just like the treaty divided Sinn Féin in Ireland, it actually began to cause splits in the IRA as well. So IRA supporters of the treaty or supporters of the Anglo-Irish Treaty became known as the Irish Free State Army or the Regulars, while the IRA members against the Anglo-Irish Treaty became known as the Irregulars. And it's kind of important, or really important to know actually, at the time, as British soldiers left the barracks that they occupied around the country, both the Regulars and the Irregulars began to occupy the British or the RIC barracks. And that becomes important when we start to look at where the Civil War took place in Ireland. So we can look to one event as almost a turning point or the catalyst for the beginning of the Civil War, and that's in April 1922. So in April 1922, when irregulars led by Rory O'Connor occupied the four courts in Dublin city centre, they occupied the four courts and another couple of buildings across the city centre in protest against the acceptance of the Anglo-Irish Treaty. So Michael Collins, who was at this point commander-in-chief of the Irish Free State Army, decided to hold off attacking his former friends as he really wanted to see the outcome of the upcoming general election that was due to take place in June 1922 before he kind of took action against the irregulars and finally before we move on from looking at the pro-treaty and anti-treaty divide in ireland at the time um let's look to the general election of 19 
22. So Sinn Féin actually did put forward both pro-treaty and anti-treaty candidates for the general election. But the results of the election clearly show that a large majority of the people supported the Anglo-Irish Treaty. So the pro-treaty candidates won the election 92 to 36, and this put the government in a really strong position to move forward with the Anglo-Irish Treaty. So fighting begins... Um, Michael Collins was actually forced to retaliate against the movements of the Irregulars. As in the same week, a leading British Unionist named Henry Wilson was assassinated by the Irregulars and a general from the Free State Army was kidnapped by the Irregulars. So in retaliation, on June 28, 1922, Collins and the Irish Free State Army began to attack the forecourts with guns and ammunition borrowed from Britain. So this event marks the official beginning of the civil war. Within two days, the irregulars in the four courts had surrendered, and within the week, they had yielded the other buildings they occupied in Dublin. So during this week, 64 people were killed in the capital of Ireland, including Cahill Brewer. So if we remember Cahill Brewer, he was actually an integral member of the 1916 Rising. And alongside the death of these 64 people, many other were Others were captured by the Irish government. After the week of fighting that took place in the capital, Eamon de Valera began to speak out against the actions of the government and actually supported the anti-treaty side of the IRA. So as the Irregulars were defeated in the capital, the Irregulars began to retreat towards Munster and the Irish countryside as they had control of many RIC barracks there after the British troops had left. So the Irregulars began to go back to their roots and use guerrilla warfare tactics against the Irish Free State Army. So moving on, we can look at the significance of the death of Arthur Griffith and Michael Collins in the grand scheme of the Civil War. So on August 12, 1922, Arthur Griffith died of a braid hemorrhage at just 51 years old. Um, We can look back at the career of Griffith. He had founded Sinn Féin. He was one of the chief negotiators with the British for the Anglo-Irish Treaty. And he played a huge instrumental role in the construction of the new Irish government. His death was a shock and generally just a great loss to the Irish Free State. Then just 10 days later, Michael Collins was killed in an ambush in Buell Nablot, just outside of Cork City, while inspecting the Irish Free State Army down there. So Collins's funeral was a huge public event with an estimated half a million attendees turning up to the Glasnevin Cemetery for his service. So when we think of the death of Collins and Griffith in the grand scheme of the Civil War, both men were mourned and respected by both sides of the pro and anti-treaty. And the death of, I suppose, both main characters led to people like Eamon de Valera believing that the bloodshed needed to stop. After Collins's death, the Free State took a much harder stance against the action of the Irregulars. So moving on to discuss the end of the Civil War. So the president of the doll was now W.T. Cosgrave. And in 1922, alongside Kevin O'Higgins, who was the new Minister for Home Affairs, passed the Special Powers Act. So this Special Powers Act allowed Free State forces to arrest, imprison and execute irregular IRA members 
for any number of offences. So as a result of this Special Powers Act, 12,000 irregular members were arrested. The fighting continued into 1923, but unlike the British during the War of Independence, the Free State Army had the advantage of knowing the countryside well, so the guerrilla warfare tactics that the IRA were trying to employ were not that successful. Then on the 24th of May 1923, Eamon de Valera, alongside members of the IRA, agreed to a ceasefire with the Irish Free State, hence bringing forth the end of the Civil War. Okay, and finally, and probably most importantly, we can look to discuss the five lasting legacies of the Irish Civil War. So firstly, debt and damage to property. So over 1,500 people are believed to have died a course over the course of the civil war with up to 38 million euro worth of damage caused to property across the country especially in dublin city center where a lot of the fighting took place secondly the country was now divided so family and friends had split across pro-treaty and anti-treaty sides solidified by the atrocities that were committed over the civil war there was a sense of bitterness across the country and this often resulted in lasting rifts between friends and families all over the country. Thirdly, there was huge political developments that kind of arose as a result of the Irish Civil War. So W.T. Cosgrove and the pro-treaty side renamed themselves Cumann the Gael, which just stands for the Union of the Irish. So we could also start to see the formation of political systems within the Irish Free State. So a parliament called Eructus, made up of the Dáil and the Shannod, was kind of set up alongside the Garda Síochána and a reorganisation of the court systems. Fourthly, the Boundary Commission was still in place, so the border between the North and South was left unchanged, which was just a huge disappointment to many in the Free State and many who still held power in political positions within the Irish Free State. Finally, number five, the two largest political parties in Ireland, both now had roots in the treaty politics of the 1920s. So Cumann Gael, later known as Finn Gael, arose from the pro-treaty side and Fianna Fáil was formed from the anti-treaty side. So Sinn Féin was no longer one of Ireland's main political parties at that time. I'm going to leave it there, folks. That's everything we've covered for the Civil War of 1922 and 1923. Remember, when we're discussing the struggle for independence in Ireland we're always looking to the bigger picture and how this contributed to Ireland eventually achieving independence. Speak soon.